So Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he had led his flock to the west side of the, west of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good broad and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hevitites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry... Of the Lord of Israel has come to me, and I have also come to come seeing the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know, we are on a quest, a journey. We are trying to journey our way through the Word of God. And we come to this journey uh, to Moses and the burning bush. And we see that Moses is having an encounter. And it's, I think, a good time for us, since we have been spending so much time in the Word of God, to just pause for a moment and just to see if God is not trying to also pull us aside and to have an encounter with us. I've been feeling this. Maybe you've been feeling this. Just to have an encounter, a conversation, an honest talk with God. Do you know God, the, the, the name that is often used so far is Yahweh, which means he brings into existence what he, whatever exists. He brings into existence whatever exists. So he brings this bush into existence. It does not make sense. It's burning, but it does not burn up. And, and Moses realizes that this is not the way that it's supposed to be. He brings us into existence. And you might be thinking, I've never had an encounter with God. And I would just suggest that if, if that is the case, then maybe it's just that you haven't recognized the opportunities that God has placed before you. Because I think God has constantly always given us an opportunity to turn aside and to recognize that he is there. Because he's always here. He's around us. And he's always trying to pull us to the side. And that's what he does with Moses. Moses encounters a burning bush. But it wasn't the bush that Moses was meeting with, was it? It was God that he was meeting with through the bush. The bush was just used by God to get Moses' attention. 
to just get him to pause for a moment and turn aside so that then God would have his attention and could speak to him. What is God using in your life right now to just try and to get you to just turn aside and give him your full attention and let him speak whatever he wants to say? There's a whole lot of things I think God uses to try to capture our attention, just like he used this burning bush to capture Moses' attention. Sometimes he uses our friends, you know, in our lives. Sometimes he uses, you know, a job. Sometimes just the birth of a little one. Sometimes it's, you know, a family crisis, a marriage crisis. Sometimes it's just the death of someone. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that God is constantly trying to do to get our attention. I want you to notice that it wasn't, like, right in his path, was it? I mean, he didn't just, like, following this path and he comes upon this burning bush like he couldn't ignore it. It was actually intentionally, I think, put in Scripture that it was off to the side and that it required him turning aside to check it out. And I think it's also very intentional that God does not address him until he does what? Until he turns aside. And then he speaks to him. You have to decide to turn towards God. This is like something that God has given you. It's, it's a free will that we are seeing all the way through as we're reading through Scripture, that God still leaves intact with us the the ability to decide if we want to turn to him or not. We can turn God on, and we can turn God off. It's almost like a light switch. We can decide, do we want light, or do we want darkness? You know, the Bible says that there are people who like their sin, and therefore they like darkness. That's just what their, their, their preference is. So they often turn God off so that they can live in the midst of darkness. He's looking for what we are going to do. Like he, he looks for, as we read through the scriptures, he looks at, do, are we avoiding it? Are we really trying to understand what he's saying? He's looking for how our, our heart's response to these encounters or these opportunities. Because what we will, how, how we respond will be determined if we're going to be a Moses kind of pot or a Pharaoh kind of pot? Did you notice they're both being used? One is for his purpose as in a good manner, and one is used for his purpose as in a bad manner. But he uses them both. He'll use people who reject him as well as people who accept him. And so God will use us regardless of how we do it. But I, what my job, I think, here this morning is to urge you to turn aside and let God speak and listen to what he has to say and realize he gets to say whatever he wants to say. And I just want to urge you to go his way. You know, the third chapter of Exodus comes with Moses shepherding a flock of his father-in-law's sheep. His name is Jethro. And you also notice in chapter 2 it's Ruel, R-E-U-E-L. Well, you will eventually figure out that Moses has one father-in-law, but he's known by like four or five different names. Um, and so anytime you come across it and it says Moses' father-in-law, just know we're talking about the exact same person. I like Jethro, don't you? That just seems like a cool name. So that's probably what I would refer to him as the most. But this is 
the same guy, and he is taking care of the, the sheep. What's interesting to me is that he's taking care of sheep from being a child of the palace. See, he was raised to be Pharaoh's daughter's son, so Pharaoh's grandson to, as kind of adopted in. For 40 years he was in the palace, and now he's taking care of sheep. Why is that important? Because you remember what we learned about how the Egyptians see shepherds when we were back with Joseph. Joseph's, you know, is sending his brothers back to their father Jacob and bringing them back. And Joseph knows what they do for a living. And what does he tell them? Remember that? It's in Genesis 46. It says, when Pharaoh calls you and says, this is Joseph speaking, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of the, of the livestock from, whom, from our youth even until now. It's almost like he's having to tell them, don't hide what you do, right? Why would Joseph tell him, don't hide what you do with Pharaoh? Because of what it tells us here at the end, for every shepherd is an abomination of the Egyptians, You see, and everyone would have known that. And so it's just interesting to me that this young man who who was like the grandson of Pharaoh, the the son of Pharaoh's daughter, is now doing something that the Egyptians would have seen in an abomination. He definitely lowered his standards, didn't he, in this next stretch of his life. In other words, the door was closed. He was never going to make his way back to the palace. But that was never God's intent for Moses anyway, right? To live in the palace and to be a part of that. That was not going to be his destiny. Who cares what the Egyptians consider an abomination? Well, I don't care. But it is a lead-in to just having this conversation. What we should be asking is, does God ever see anything as an abomination? What are it? I don't, I don't really care what the Egyptians think is abomination, but does God see things that are detestable? In fact, the, the word abomination is something that causes hate or disgust. And, and the Bible uses the abomination as something that God loathes or hates because it is offensive to him and his character. It, it is not aligned with who he is. One of the things that we will find is in Deuteronomy, a lot of this is in Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9 through 12, and Deuteronomy 20, verse 18, is that occult practices are an abomination of God. And part of the occult practices that are an abomination of God is child sacrifice. No doubt abortion would have been in the list of that as abomination of God, because why is it that we would ever do that anyway? It's because it's inconvenient, Right? It doesn't fit with our life's purpose or our life's schedule, so we abort a child. Or we're looking out for our health and our well-being. In other words, we're elevating ourselves above some other human life and decide to sacrifice it. Making a decision that God would have seen as an abomination. Abominations also, in God's word, according to Deuteronomy 24, verse 4, are, are just ungodly sexual behaviors like homosexuality, adultery. Place them both on the same level, by the way, not like one is greater than the other. But God sees them as an abomination. Did you know that cross-dressing was an abomination of your God? 
This is in Deuteronomy 22.5. But sure enough, Deuteronomy 17.1, it says that God sees imperfect sacrifices as an abomination. So how one gives to God matters to God. Dishonest business dealings is an abomination to God. Deuteronomy 25, 13 through 16. Wickedness is abomination. Injustice is abomination of God. And it'd be my guess that perhaps somebody, even in a small little room like this, is like, well, I just don't agree with all of those. The world sure doesn't agree with all of those, right? But we have to ask ourselves, who gets to decide what is an abomination and what is not? Who really gets to decide that? I mean, do we get to just decide that just like the Egyptians decided that shepherding is an abomination? And we just get to live by our own rules? Or do we really believe that God gets to make the rules and set the precedence for how we see things in this way? Which leads to just this here, and that is there is one more thing that God sees as an abomination that seems to be kind of perking its ears within our story, so it's worth making note, and that is that turning a deaf ear to God. Flipping the switch and saying, God, I'm, I'm, I am zoned out now, I am tuned out, I'm no longer listening to you is an abomination to God. But that makes sense, right? Proverbs 28, verse 9, it says, If one turns away his ears from hearing the law, in other words, the word law there actually means something that is being taught by God, something that is being instructed. Even, it says here, even his prayer is an abomination. So somebody that has tuned out God, that is trying to now reach out to God, God just sees even the prayer that is coming up to him as an abomination. Two times God gets angry with Moses, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. Did you see that? Both of them happen in chapter 4 of Exodus. But all the way through, he, God shows himself in this bush. He turns, Moses turns aside. God speaks to him, tells him the details of what he wants to do. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh because I've heard my people, and I'm going to rescue them. I've seen their suffering, and I'm going to come and rescue them. And you're going to be the one who goes to Pharaoh and tells him to let my people go. And Moses' first reaction is what? Uh, no, that's not me. Who am I, is what he says, that I would do that. And so God has this pretty long dialogue with Moses trying to convince him, no, you are going to do this and you can do it. Because that's the whole thing is Moses is like, I can't do this. But he's like, no, you can't do this. But I can do this through you. It's not like you have to do anything. I will tell you what what to say, and I will give you these really cool things to do to convince Pharaoh that it is not you doing any of the talking anyway, right? So all the way through, God is trying to convince Moses that it's going to be okay. I am with you. And he gives him, like, these really cool things. That staff you got, throw it down. What does it turn into? A snake. He says, now pick it up. And he's like me. like, no. But he does. Picks him up by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. And that would be really awesome. 
And then he has him stick his hand in his cloak and pulls it out, and it becomes what? Like leprosy. Put it back in, pull it out, what is it? No leprosy. And so God is trying to convince Moses, you can do this. And then we're down to chapter 4 with all of this going on. And in verse 10, this is what Moses said to the Lord. Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past, and this is funny to me to some degree, or since you have spoken to your servant. Like, even though you show me these miracles that I can do, even though you tell me you're going to be with me, even though you tell me you're going to tell me what to say, and I really just have to be a warm body along for the journey, you still have not convinced me that I can do this. But I am slow of speech and tongue. You know, the disciples really struggled with that kind of courage until they saw what? Jesus resurrected from the dead. And then all of a sudden, they were courageous people, willing to do anything dangerous, speak to anybody boldly. In fact, all of them probably according to tradition, history, were probably martyred. We know that several of them were, and probably all of them were martyred for their faith because they were not going to hide anymore behind a closed door because they had a resurrected Lord. And John, the only one that wasn't, was put on an island like a prison, and he was more than happy to suffer for Jesus. And same goes with Paul. We have a resurrected Lord, right? Isn't it the same one? Do we not have like the same promises that I will be with you even in, to the end of the age? Do we ever go anywhere on our own initiative? Do we not even have promises that like says that the Holy Spirit will give us things to say in the moment if we will just go and start being ready to speak? Sure it does. Then what is it that causes us to act like Moses? When you read it, were you not like, Moses, come on. This is like silly for you to even think that you can't do this because you're not really going to do anything. But here is what's interesting is what Moses, what God responds in verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? So he's having to go back to some elementary teaching. Who has made him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Does that ever come out of your lips? And then verse... 14, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. What did we say was an abomination of God? Someone who refuses to listen. But fortunately, we have a God who is super duper patient. Like he is not going to allow what he hates to destroy this man at this point. But no doubt, if Moses did not turn from his perspective, that that was eventually going to be the case. 
because anger was part of that. And we have another situation, right? You remember that situation that's just a little bit further down, like in verse 27 or something? It's just really odd. It just seems like pops out of nowhere that all of a sudden it looks like God is ready to kill Moses or his son. It looks more like Moses. But what would that be about? About circumcision, right? And Zipporah, she knows, because she is the priest's daughter, she's like a preacher's daughter, she knows exactly what kindled the anger of God. Because what is it that God hates? Is deaf ears. And what is it that God had made a promise to Abraham back in 17, that everyone, if you want to be a part of this covenant, you're going to be circumcised. Everyone in your house is going to be circumcised. And God takes everything that he says is important, and he takes everything that people know that he says, but refuses to do what he says as an act of aggression towards him. And so God was about to deal with that as well. Are you, are you like, how are you as a listener as you're walking through this reading with God? It's starting to really, you know, have its effect on me in a good way. Like it's really starting to make me Watch how I care for people around me, my conversations around them, how I am with my relationship with God. Um, It's starting to affect me, but I'm trying really hard to be a good listener. And that's where it really all comes down to, right? Like we we can hear and decide to turn a deaf ear to the things that we don't want to hear. Or we can yield to the things that we do. If you really feel like he doesn't want you to do anything, like God is just like overlooking you in life, like you just kind of get a pass to just kind of smooth through, that you don't get a Moses call, so to speak. Well, first, I would really argue that that's the case. I would somewhat pity you, too. Because that could only mean that he's not really interested in you. But that's where I would start my argument, right? Is I think that he is interested in you. And therefore, I think that he does have something that he wants you to participate with him in the kingdom of God with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14, it says this. For anything that has become visible in light, therefore I say, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time, because the days are evil. You know, many people we have encountered so far, and there's a whole lot of people that we've encountered, right? And we haven't hardly got very far in the story. I have to come all the way back here. Oh, my. That's where we got. And look at all the people. 
that have come and gone in the story. For one, it should wake us up and realize, like, okay, this story is really not about a particular person. It's about God. It's God's story. But many people we have encountered, and they all play these really unique roles. We have Abraham, who is playing the role of where the promise has come into the world. We have Jacob, who is showed the world that God is faithful in spite of, right? And introduced Israel, which is God continuing that story that God is faithful in spite of Israel. We have Joseph, who is saving many lives, and he finally gets this all figured out at the end. We have Jonah, we haven't gotten to yet, that is going to give Nineveh an opportunity to repent. And we'll eventually have Paul offering salvation to the Gentiles and a whole lot of people in between that are playing roles. They're all playing a little piece of, of this amazing saga of God. The story is about God. And it's, it, they just play a small little piece And these are the big players of the Bible. And here we come along. And to think that God is not going to take our little bitty piece and to use it in some way for the kingdom is just kind of silly. You see, the only way to be used... The only way to not be used, I should say this, the only way to not be used like Pharaoh. Anybody want to sign up to be used like Pharaoh? I I pray not. But the only way to not be used like Pharaoh is to volunteer to be used like Moses. You see, Moses is an example of what we should do. Finally yield to the creator of the universe and say, okay, what is it you want me to do? Instead of making excuses, finally yield to that. He's an example of what we should do. Pharaoh is an example of what we shouldn't do. Let me ask you a question and we'll move on. What is your example teaching your kids, your, your friends, your co-workers? What is, what is the example that you are setting? How it should be done or how it should not be done? Is it more closely related to Moses or is it more closely related to Pharaoh? Both are pretty scary, by the way, aren't they? I mean, there's a reason. We know that there's a reason, like, Moses is all freaked out about this whole thing. Like, I don't want to do this. Because we don't either. I mean, that's one of the things that I think is the most terrifying thing is to yield to this God. Because if I yield completely, then he's going to tell me what to do completely. And I don't know what that is, but that terrifies me that what that might be. But God said to Moses what? I'll be with you. He says the same thing to us. And that's where we just have to trust and, and try to rationalize, what does that actually mean that God will be with me? Does that mean enough? Is, is that going to be enough to be able to do 
We think we want God to just ignore us. I think that's where most people land, really. It's like, God, don't count me out. Don't discard me. Just ignore me. You know, let me be part of. Just don't call me to do anything. Have you ever been in that? Like, have you ever been in a class that you're terrified the teacher is going to call on you? You're not about to raise your hand. You're, in fact, you're, even, you're, you're terrified to even blink. It's like, you know, like some kind of auction where you don't want to flinch or you might be buying something. And so you just almost try to disappear the best you can. That's what we want. But that's not really what we want. I'm just telling you, I've been doing this 30 years. What we want is for God to draw us, not to ignore us. What we want is God to choose us, not to dis- disregard us. And that's why it tells us in John chapter 6, verse 44, No one can come to me, this is Jesus speaking, unless the Father who sent me draws him. I don't know about you, but when I read that every time, I'm just like, oh God, please be, please let me be one that you draw. I want to be among the elect. I want to be among one of your chosen. I will raise him up on the last day. That's where I want to be. John 15, 16, it says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. It might be scary to be called by God, but I tell you something that's scarier Is, is instead of being called by God to abide and to do, is to be called by God because you don't abide and you don't do. I want to be a Moses. I do not want to be a Pharaoh. If that's the only choices I have, oh, Lord, please let me be a Moses. Let me trust in your power. Let me trust that you will carry me through. This is why I think Paul in, said to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church there, these very emphatic words that we just read, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead. Quit just setting and acting like you don't exist. Rise up from your stupor, and Christ will shine upon you. Luke chapter 12, verse 4, it says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after he had that has nothing more that he can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast you into hell. The one who is still there even after death and is going to deal with what you choose. Yes, I tell you, fear him. That's Jesus talking. Have you ever heard somebody say, Why me? I've said it a few times in my life. I've heard it many times. It's a difficult thought that God wants to use us, but it is a reality that he has important business to be about. Jesus was always talking about this, important business that I'm doing for the Father. 
Moses was struggling with this. He was just like, why me in verse 11 of 3? But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring this children of Israel out of Egypt? But don't you know that Pharaoh had his own kind of why me? You haven't gotten there yet, but you're fixing to get there this week. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 29, this is what you'll read. He says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captives who are in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all of his servants and all of the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone had not died. Can you even comprehend what it would be like to be on the opposite side of God? of living in a world where you, you intentionally chose to flip the switch off instead of leaving it on. This is a hard thing to figure out, but the bottom line is this, and I really think this is like one of our big takeaways. Not only here, but it will carry you all the way through the rest of God's Word. Life isn't about you. Your life is about God. Let me just say this again. I want you to think about it. Your life isn't about you. Your life is about God. He is the big picture here. He is the story. And everybody just comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. And you either make it about God and you're part of the saga and and the goodwill comes your way and you have eternal life. Or you decide that you're going to live your life making it about you and about other things and you will find that you lose it. Do you remember what Jesus says about this? If you keep your life, if you live your life for yourself, you will what? You'll lose it. But if you lose your life, if you live your life for me, you will find it. And he says this at least twice, but it'd be my guess that he, that's only the recorded times, but I bet he said it everywhere he went, because that is the takeaway, is it not? It's to realize we're either going to be a Moses who eventually yields to God, or we're going to stay a Pharaoh that continues to just come up with every reason under the sun to say no to God. No, no. You ever think that Pharaoh is the dumbest person? We run across a few of those, and sometimes we look at them in the mirror. Why is this important? Because we are taught all of our lives that life is about us. We raise our kids to think that life is about them. And it is really a tough thing for us to really come to this understanding that really life is not really about me. It is really, truly about God. He was using Moses for his story. Not Moses using God for Moses' story. In fact, aren't there a lot of details that were left out? Like, I wish I knew, did, did Moses have a relationship with his mom and his dad? 
I mean, other than she winged him, we know that. We don't know, but that wouldn't, if it was an autobiography, would we not know that pretty crucial detail about Moses if he was writing his own story? See, even Moses knows this is not my story. I will tell you what's important, and it is what God is up to in the world. Romans chapter 14, verse 8, it says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Does that sound like somebody living for themselves? No. That sounds like somebody that has decided that God owns them. And that life is going to be about God, not about me. And I'm going to put my trust in him. The burning bush. It's just an opportunity that God had established to have an encounter and a conversation with this man, Moses. It was Moses' decision to turn aside. And as soon as God saw that Moses decided to turn aside, God spoke. Are you having a burning bush encounter? I have no doubt that you have a God who is wanting to have a conversation. But he's just waiting and seeing if you're going to turn aside or you're just going to keep heading down the road that you're going the direction you're going. So we're going to have another little encounter. Sean's going to come up and lead us in this, and it's the table. And this is one of the places that God gets intimate with us because he brings something to the table. And we're going to pick it up, and we're going to take it back to our seat. And I hope what you contemplate here is that you just remember that God hates people who refuse to listen to him. He hates it. And that God rewards people who do listen to him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that we have an opportunity here today to turn aside and to let you speak. Be my guess that you've already been attempting to do that and perhaps even gotten through to us. But I do know, Father, our hearts can get pretty calloused and pretty hard at times. We can really have our own agendas and our own thoughts about life that are contrary to what your thoughts about life are. But you are up to something in our lives just like you are up to something in Moses' life and, and all those people there. So, Father, I just pray that you would speak in a way that we would all hear. And I pray that everybody would want to hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.